So we're in a series called Life in the Spirit, if you haven't been with us. We've been going along, we've been looking at uh, Paul's description of the Christian life, which is life in the Spirit. And we said that for a Christian, what, the, what, what it means to follow Jesus is to live a life empowered by the Spirit of God. Uh, God doesn't send us out on our own and say, okay, live the Christian life for me. But he comes and he lives in us by his Holy Spirit, empowering us, enabling us to live the Christian life. And so uh, we're looking at Paul's description of this in the the book of Galatians, this idea of uh, life in the Spirit. And we're looking at at the great passage uh, that Paul gets uh, to here in chapter 5, the passage about the fruit of the Spirit. And this is a passage that people crochet on their uh, refrigerators, you know, it's a very famous verse, this uh, verse about fruit of the Spirit. And what we said last week is that Paul, when this, with this idea of fruit of the Spirit, is talking about the evidence of the life of God in us. And so if you're alive, if the, if the life of God has come to live in you by his Holy Spirit, there's going to be signs of that life, there's going to be a byproduct of that life that's going to come out. And just like a tree bears fruit, and the fruit is a sign of life, that you know a tree is alive because it bears fruit. Uh, You know that a Christian is alive. You know that the Spirit of God lives in you when you see these byproducts, when you see fruit coming out of your life. Fruit is a sign of God's life in you. And, you know, we're always looking for signs, you know. uh, Life always has signs. You know, if you walk into a room and you see somebody unconscious on the floor, What are you going to do? You're going to run up to that person and you're going to take their vital signs. Are they alive or not? You don't know. So you you take their pulse. You you see if they're breathing. And for for Paul, it's the same way for the Christian. Uh, We've got the life of God in us. And how do you know that the life of of God is in you? Well, you look for signs. You take your vital signs. You take your spiritual pulse by looking at the fruits of the Spirit. If the life of God is in you, uh, you're going to see these things come out of you. And you know something is alive if it has signs. You know, the other uh, couple days ago, uh, we found a tarantula in our house. It was in one of our kids' uh, bedrooms. I mean, can you imagine that? A big tarantula. It was the scariest thing that my wife had ever seen. And after after she screamed, she, she snapped a picture of it and sent it to me. And I promptly went downstairs and told the whole office, there's a tarantula in my house. And I had those visions, you know, the Brady Bunch. Remember that Brady Bunch where Greg had the tarantula crawling up his belly in Hawaii? Anyway, the first thing that Anita did was she went to the tarantula and she poked it to see if it was alive. And it moved, you know, there were signs of life there. And so then she picked it up and she promptly flushed it down the toilet. But how do you know if something is alive? It's really important to know if something is alive. You take their vital signs. You see if it's moving. You see if there's a pulse. You see if there's breath. And it's the same way for a Christian. The fruit of the Spirit is like your vital signs. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of God's life in your heart. And so Paul goes through this list, and he says, here's the vital signs. And and so uh, we're going to look at that today, and we're going to look at the very first one. Paul here says that the fruit of the Spirit First of all is love. And so we're going to just take this, this idea of love and look at the very first fruit of the Spirit. Now when you see this word love, uh, love is much greater than the first fruit on the list. Love is not simply just one of the vital signs that is a, sh- uh, that is a, a proof of God's life in you. Lo- love is the most vital sign. Love is the most crucial virtue 
that lets you know if the life of God is in you. For Paul, love is not one on the list of a lot of other things. Love is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Love is the most prominent. Love is the most vital of all the vital signs. And, and when Paul uh, earlier says, he says this, he says, the only thing that counts at one place, this is in chapter four, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. He says, look, there are 613 laws. There are lots of things you can do as a Christian, but the only thing that counts, he says, is faith expressing itself through what? Through love. Love is the most primary, according to Paul. Then he goes on and he says, look, the whole law, all of the law is summed up in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul, out of all, he says, how do you keep the whole law? Well, he says, all you need to do is love your neighbor. And if you do that, you're going to be keeping everything else. Love is the most prominent. Love is the most primary, according to Paul, of all the virtues. And when Paul says this, he's taking a card from Jesus. Because remember, it was Jesus who said this. He said, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so also you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so Jesus is trying to get something across to his disciples. The most important thing, a new commandment I give you. Here is the evidence. Here is the most important thing that will let everybody know that you're my disciples. What is it? It is if you love one another. So love is the vital sign. Love is the evidence. It's not one that comes first in a list of all others. For Paul, love is the most important. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, the great love chapter, Paul says you can have everything. You could have all the gifts. You could be a great preacher. You could give them to the poor. You could, uh, you know, foresee all mysteries. You can have all of these things. But he says, if you don't have love, what? You are nothing. So love is the thing. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It is the evidence that the life of God is in you. You want to know if you're alive. You want to know if you've got the Spirit. Paul says you just got to look for one thing primarily. Are you a loving person? Now someone might say, you know, it's, you know, it's not are you a driven person. Someone might say I'm a driven person. Paul doesn't say that. He, or, or I'm an interesting person. You know, people love to talk to me. I'm so interesting. He doesn't say that, or I'm a creative or a successful person or a wealthy person. For Paul, the most important question you could ask yourself is, am I a loving person? Do I love? This is the, the sign of God's life in you. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And so this morning, I want to look at that, and I want to ask three questions of this little phrase, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Number one, what is love? If it's the most important thing, we have to ask, what is it? What is love? And then second of all, why is it primary? Why is it most important? And then finally, how do we cultivate it? So three things. First of all, let's ask the question, uh, if, if love is the most important, then what is it? Paul says here, the fruit of the Spirit is love. What is love? In our culture, we're so, we throw the word around so flippantly, so casually, don't we? We say, I love, I love your dress. I, lo I love that movie. We say, I love, I, I just love your house. I love my spouse. I love ice cream. What, is it, what does it mean to love, anyway? It's almost like in our vocabulary, love is anything that you really, really like a lot. Love is anything that, that gives you a strong appreciation for it. 
But what, what is love anyway? What, what is Paul talking about when he says the fruit of the Spirit is love? Well, in the ancient world, they weren't so flippant about using the word. In fact, in Greek, there are four different words for love. Uh, not just one, there were four. The first was the Greek word storge. Can we all say that? Storge. storge. And storge was family love. You know, storge is the love that, that a mother feels for that, that, that baby, that, that love, that affection that the mother feels for the child. It's there and it's natural and strong. Or it's the love that a father feels for his son as he watches him play baseball. You know, this is, this is family love, and it's, a, it's an important love because it ties a family together. It creates bonds that are incredibly uh, crucial, like glue. You know, family love, you, know, you may have a brother that is just a mess, but, but you love him, right? Why? Because he's your brother. And the, the bond, the blood bond, binds us together so strongly, and that's, that's storge love. It's a reality. Familial love based in affection. But for the Greeks, there was also another type of love. It was, it was uh, phileo. Can we all say that one? Phileo. phileo. This is brotherly love. It's why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. It's, a, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's friendship love. It's a love that a friend has for another friend. It's, it's a love that binds two people together, and it's based upon what? It's based upon shared interest. You've got a friend when you share something in common. In fact, C.S. Lewis says, the first word of friendship is you too. You love heavy metal too. You love baseball too. You too is, not you too, the band, but you, you too is the first word of friendship. It's a shared love. It's the, the picture is not two people looking at one another, but two people facing the same thing together. You know you've got a friend when, when you both love the same thing. And you ought to look for those people in your life that love the same thing that you do. You know, find somebody with shared interests. C.S. Lewis, Lewis said that, he said, you never want to spend a lot of time with a person that bores you. He says, look for somebody that interests you. Find, spend a lot of time with that person because that's a friendship. And those things are important, you know. Shared interest is a very important basis for a relationship. They make your life fuller and stronger. That's phileo love, friendship. But then the Greeks had another uh, type of love. It was called eros. Can we all say that one? Eros. This was sexual love. This is romantic love. This is a picture of two people facing one another. It's based in mutual attraction. And we all know about this love because literally every single romantic comedy is, is about it. You know, we, we love this sort of love. Go to the grocery store. Look at the glossy photos on the front page of the magazines. We love romance. We want to know who's dating who. Listen to every country song. Every, almost every song is about love. This is eros. This is romantic love. And it's, it's a real natural love in, in the world. But then there's this final love, and it's the Greek word agape. Can we all say agape? Or abake. Not abake, agape. Or agape. This is a word that is, is divine love. It stands for divine love. And it was in currency before Christianity came into the world. The Greeks used it, but really the, the Christians gave this word agape its meaning. And for them, it came to, to, be, to stand for God's self-giving, self-donating love for human beings. It is a special love, and it, and it also became known as that love that should mark Christians for one another. 
It's used 200 times in the New Testament. And every time you hear Jesus say, love one another, or when Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you're nothing unless you have love, or in this passage where Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, the word is agape. And so what is the chief mark of God's life in you? What is the chief evidence? What is the thing that should come out above everything else? Paul says it's agape. You want to know if you're alive with the Spirit of God. This is what you look for. Look for agape love. Now, agape love is the exact opposite of selfishness. In fact, if you look at the works of the flesh, and then you look at the fruit of the Spirit, the one thing that marks these two things distinct from one another is, are, is the, the, the works of the flesh is utterly inward. And the work and the fruit of the Spirit is outward. And this is exactly what agape is. It's a one-way love. It's an outward love. It's an other-centered love. It's a love that flows out of you like a fountain, and it gives and gives and gives. It's a sacrificial love. Uh, The old theologians used to call this self-donating love. And what is a donation? You know, you go to uh, the uh, Salvation Army or you go down to the Goodwill and you make a donation. A donation is something you give without expecting anything in return. You know, maybe you give to the Goodwill expecting a tax return. (laughs) But really, the the essence of self-donation, the the essence of a donation is is giving and giving without expecting anything in return. Uh, The old old English word for uh, for love is charity. And we often think of charity as, as purely financial, but the old, the old timers, the old theologians thought about charity as, as just giving of yourself, giving to others without expecting anything in return. And for Paul, this is the essence of agape. This is what agape means 200 times in the New Testament. And agape, it's, it's characterized by an inner fullness. It's characterized by an inner fullness. C.S. Lewis in another place said, he says, a lot of times when we think about love, what we really call love is something more like hunger. You're empty, and you want, and you crave, and so you reach out to another person. Why? So that they could fulfill you in some way. There's almost an inner emptiness where we reach out to the other in order that they might meet one of our needs. But agape is not like that. Agape is, it comes out of an inner fullness You're full on the inside, and like a fountain, love comes out of you and flows to the other. And you love not expecting anything in return, but you love because you love them. It arises out of an inner fullness. One of the greatest examples of this sort of love is in the the great movie Les Miserables. Anybody seen that one? It's based on uh, uh, the French author uh, Victor Hugo's book, and it was about Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean, who was this, uh, he was a man who was desperately poor, and in order to feed his family, he stole a, a, a piece of, a, a loaf of bread. He was caught by the police. They threw him in prison for 19 years. And this man who just, he was really a good man when he went into jail. By the time he got out, he was bitter and angry. And he was wandering the streets, and, and, he, and he came upon the house of a, of a priest, of a bishop. And the bishop, as he knocked on the door, the man, John Valjean said, I need a place to stay. And the bishop said, okay, come on, come on in. And he let him stay for the night. The bishop knew exactly who John Valjean was and, and what he was capable of. But he let him in. And that night, John Valjean got up in the middle of the night. You remember the story, and what did he do? 
He stole all the bishop's china. He put it in a big sack and he ran off with it in the middle of the night. Well, Jean Valjean was caught by the police. And when they caught him, they brought him back to the, pri- to the priest and they said, look, this man stole all of your silver or your china or whatever it was. He stole all of it. And what did the priest do? He showed Jean Valjean agape love. This is what he did. He said, silver, the silver was a gift to help him make a new beginning. I gave it to him. And then the, the, the priest does something even greater. He says, he says, but wait a minute, wait a minute, Jean Valjean, you forgot the silver candlesticks. And he gives Jean Valjean the extra uh, gift. He gave to a man who wanted to steal from him. And it changed John Valjean's life. And this is agape love. Agape love gives even to one who is your enemy. Agape love, so often it, it doesn't give to somebody who is beautiful, but when somebody is shown agape love, it changes them. It redeems them. And you may have seen this. Maybe you've loved somebody, maybe a spouse, and you love them in this way, this agape, one-way love, and the love actually changes them. The love actually makes a person better. This is what agape love does. It doesn't look for that which is beautiful, but it creates beauty in the beloved. Now, this is what love is. Are we getting it? This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what, this is a sign of life. This is what comes out when the Spirit of God is in you. And let me just quickly say, you know, there, there is a counterfeit to agape love. There is Sort of, uh, you know, you, you may, someone may look at you and say, you are so unselfish, you are so dutiful. And you see those people that they give and give and give, but it's almost because they have no boundaries, and they can't say no. Uh, Tim Keller talks about this type of person. He says, of course, there are many of us that look unselfish and dutiful, simply because we can't say no. We say yes to everything, and people are constantly using us. People are stepping on us like a doormat. Everybody says you are so selfless, so giving of yourself, you need to think more about taking care of yourself. But think of, of those of us who don't have any boundaries or who let people walk all over us and use us. Do you think you are doing this out of love for other people? Of course not. You are doing it out of need. We say yes to everything out of fear or cowardice. That's far from loving others. To love others is to unconditionally serve them, not because we are getting anything out of it, just because our love and appreciation for those, to those for who they are. And so there is a counterfeit, counterfeit to agape. You know, you're someone who's got, you're codependent or you've got no boundaries. This is not real agape love. This comes out of an emptiness. You're doing it out of cowardice because you need others to feel well of you or to think well of you. Real agape love comes out of fullness. It goes out. It comes not out of need, but, but out of a desire simply to bless and serve other people. And it changes all those who are around us. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Well, let's ask the second question is, why, why is this the fruit of the Spirit? Why is this primary? Why is this the mark? Why is love so crucial? Why is agape the thing that, that, that should mark us above everything else? You know, because you, you think about your life, there are a lot of people that cultivate a lot of virtues. Maybe you're somebody and you think, you know, for me, the most primary thing is self-control. And you've become very self-controlled and you've become very, you know, you've said no to a lot of things and you're very self-disciplined. Why isn't this the fruit of the Spirit? 
Or why isn't honesty fruit of the Spirit? You know, you may cultivate honesty, and honesty is vitally important for people around you. Why isn't honesty the fruit of the Spirit? Or think about peace, you know, the lack of anxiety. Why isn't peace the fruit of the Spirit? Or joy. And there are people that spend their lives cultivating these things. Why is love the most important? Well, think about it. If you love somebody, so often that love will lead to all the other virtues. I once heard of a guy that he, w- he became very self-controlled. He was, a, he was addicted to alcohol. He had an alcohol problem. It was out, sort of out of control. And the way he gained mastery over that, that addiction is one day he was looking at his little boy. And out of love for his little boy, he said, I just can't do this anymore. I can't ruin my life. I can't ruin my life anymore because it's going to hurt his little life. And what happened? His love led to self-control. And that's the way it is with all the other virtues. Love is primary because it leads to all the others. You'll, you won't lie to somebody that you love, right? You know, when you love, when you have love at the center of your life, it's going to lead to peace and joy. So that's one of the reasons why love is so primary. You know, here you are, and because love should lead to everything else. But there's a deeper reason why love is the most important. Love is the most important because this is the fruit of the Spirit. And what is the Spirit? We're talking here about God's Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what comes out of you when God comes in you. You know, the Holy Spirit is the divine personal resident of the Christian's heart. And when God comes into a person, that person begins to reflect God. And who is God? Well, here's what the Bible says about God. The, the one thing that marks our God more than anything else, the one thing at the center of our God's personality more than anything else is love. In fact, the book of John says that God is agape. God is agape. At the heart of who our God is, is love. Before he's creator, or before he's holy, or before God is anything else, or at the center of all those other things is this virtue of love. God is love. And so if you truly have God in you by his Holy Spirit, if you truly are a follower of God, or as 1 John says, those who are born of God will have agape in their life. Why? Because God is love. The reason why love is so important because it's at the heart of the God that we worship. And so think about that. The, The nature of God is that he is outward. The nature of God is that he pours out. God is like a fountain of love. He's full of love. You know, before God created anything, the the members of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they loved one another perfectly. C.S. Lewis says it's almost like a dance. They were circling around one another and pouring themselves out for one another and, and caring about one another. And out of this inner fullness of God, he creates the world. So creation is an overflow of God's love. Why did God create? It wasn't because God was lonely. It was because God was love. And the love overflowed. He created the world out of love. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, uh, The Screwtape Letters, anybody read that one? It's uh, one person. Thank you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's from the perspective of demons. And there's one point where the demons are talking about humanity and they're talking about God. And they start to zero in on this idea of who God in is and his love, his, his outward sort of flowing love. And this is what one of the demons says. Shall I read it in a demon voice? 
That'd be interesting. No, somebody says, please don't do that, Brent. One must face. No, I'm just kidding. One must face the fact that all the talk about his love for men and his service being perfect freedom is not, as one would gladly believe, mere propaganda, but an appalling truth. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself, creatures whose life on its miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own, not because he has absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. And then the demon says, we want cattle who can finally become food, but he wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in, but he wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and overflows. God is full. God is full of agape love. And who God is is he overflows this love and, it, and, it, and he creates humanity. We are alive. We are on this earth because of God's love. He reached out and brought us into being. But then Jesus Christ comes into the world. And, and who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is agape incarnate. You, know, you want to know what God's love really looks like, this overflowing love. Well, you look at creation, but also look at Jesus. And Jesus walked around the world loving others and pouring himself out over and over again for others, healing and washing feet and serving and caring for people in need. And this final form of God's self-donation we see where? In the cross. On the cross, you see God giving himself, giving his very self, expecting nothing in return. On the cross, we see God's agape. And what Paul is saying is that God sent his Holy Spirit into your life. And when God's Holy Spirit comes into you, what does the Spirit create? The Spirit creates agape. Anybody who is truly born of God, if the life of God is in you, you're going to begin to look a little bit like your father. When I go to the nursery to pick up my kids, they know whose kids are mine. Well, I'm the pastor. They should know, right? But they're all short. And those who are truly born of God, if you have God's DNA, if you have God's life in you, you're going to begin to look like God yourself. The overflowing, agape, one-way love is going to characterize your life. And this is why it is so crucial to examine yourself and say, do I see selfishness or outwardness in my life? You know, you've met those people. Maybe you've been one of those people. Every conversation is about you. You know, people may be hurting around you. You have no idea because all of your thoughts and all of your words are just, they revolve around you. Or maybe you're incredibly self-conscious and you walk into a room and your first thought, your, your continual thought is, what do people think about me? Do people like me? Do people care about me? Are people saying good things about me? Or maybe you're self-protective. I can't do anything until I take care of myself. I've got to look out for number one. It's me. I've got to take care of me. Paul says that is a very dangerous direction. Because a person who is truly alive is going to turn out. The Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And those who are truly alive, the Spirit will turn you out. Martin Luther said that the natural heart is curved in on itself. The natural you just kind of curves in. What do people think about me? Do people want me? Your thoughts go naturally to you. You walk by a window and you look in the reflection. Why? To see you. 
But when the Spirit of God comes in, the Spirit turns your heart out. He turns you out. This is what he does. And he creates an othered centeredness about you. This is agape. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul says, what is, what is love? What's well, agape. It's outward. It's one way. It's self-donation. Why is it most important? Because this is what God is like. And God is in you by his Holy Spirit. And so your life should begin to look like his. But then finally, how do we cultivate this love in our lives? Because, you know, this love is very, very difficult, isn't it? How do we cultivate love? Where does love come from? And it's not, you know, just because the Spirit of God is is in you doesn't mean it just sort of naturally flows out like a fountain. Love's got to be cultivated. You know, a garden, if it's going to grow, the fruit, if it's going to grow, you've got to tend to it. You've got to work on it. And so how do we cultivate love? in our lives. Let me give you a couple things. First of all, one of the ways to cultivate it is to simply do acts of love and service for other people. One of the ways to cultivate love is to do loving things for others around you. C.S. Lewis, again, I've been quoting him all through the sermon, but one, at one point he says, if you want to learn how to love somebody, don't wait until you feel loving towards them. He says, what you need to do is begin to act like you love them. And you'll find, here's the secret, you'll find that when you begin to act like you love somebody, you'll begin to like them. C.S. Lewis says, you see this, and in the opposite is true as well. He says, when you looked at the Nazis in Germany, he said they were so cruel to their captors or the ones who they had captured that they actually, their cruelty led to hatred. They treated them poorly and they started to feel hatred towards them. And the opposite is true as well. If you begin to treat a person like you love them, the feeling of love will grow. Have you ever noticed this in loving your kids? You know, you've got, you've got kids maybe. And that little kid, you just pour yourself out for him or her. And you, you're up in the middle of the night and you're wiping their little nose and you're doing all these things for them. And, and what do you get in return? Nothing. <laughs> Maybe they'll, you know, sh- you know, shake your hand or something and touch you or give a little smile. But it's it, raising children. Some of you know it's years and years and years of outward, you know, doing and doing and doing and doing. But what do you find? You begin to love that little monster. And when he grows older, you know, he may be 18 years old and he may be a real jerk, but you still love him, right? Why? It's because you've been acting and acting and acting in agape love over and over again, pouring yourself out for this child, and the love begins to grow. But meanwhile, what do you do when your spouse acts like a baby? You say, I don't feel like loving him. I'm not going to do anything for him. And so because you don't like them, you don't love them. And then what happens? Because you don't love them, you don't like them. And because you don't like them, you don't love them. And the spiral goes on and on and on. And at the end of the, 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 the day, you say, well, our love has died. And, and I say, well, no kidding. If you want to learn how to cultivate love, do loving things and affection will follow. And sometimes just do real small things. Like if you're having a hard time with a person, maybe begin by praying for him or her. 
maybe just a small act of service here and a little blessing there, and you will find that you are cultivating love and affection will follow. Here's another thing you can do. You can learn to receive God's love for you. This is one of the most important things you can do to learn how to be a loving person. Because what is love? Love is fullness. And if you are empty on the inside, if you don't know that God loves you, then how are you going to give that love to somebody else? You know, love takes incredible courage. Love is, love is opening yourself up. Love is pouring yourself out. Love is letting go of the self-protection and the self-referential nature of your life, and it's opening yourself up, and that takes incredible courage. And so many of us are afraid. We're always looking out for us because we're afraid. How do you get rid of that fear? Where do you get courage? Well, you've got to get it from God's love for you. You've got to let God's love fill you up so that you're strong enough to love others. I read a little story this week, and I'll end uh, pretty close uh, to this story, but the story is of a little boy. And the little boy was uh, very unliked by his classmates. He was quiet. He was kind of nerdy. Nobody really much liked him. But Valentine's Day was approaching, and the little boy said, I want to make Valentine's for all of my classmates. And his mom, when she heard this, her heart sank because she knew that it wouldn't be reciprocated. But the little boy was, he was determined, I'm going to make a Valentine for all of my classmates. And so the mom helped him, and the day arrived. He went off to school with all of his little Valentines, and she knew his, he was going to come home with nothing. And so she baked him cookies, and she, wa- she was ready to just sort of comfort her little boy. And when the boy came back from school, sure enough, he was walking at the very end of the row of, with all of his classmates sort of ignoring him. He had nothing in his hands, no valentines. And he went into the, to the house, and, and the, the mom just sort of looked at him. And the boy, before she could say anything, said, Mommy, you wouldn't believe it. Not a one. Not a one. I didn't forget a one. You see, he, he didn't even notice that he didn't get any. Now you say, well, maybe he was just clueless. He had, he had no self-awareness. Or maybe he was incredibly courageous. Maybe he was so full on the inside that he was able to love and care for those on the outside. And so what Paul says here is the fruit of the Spirit is love, but what the Spirit does first is the Spirit sheds God's love abroad in your heart until you know that God loves you. You don't go out into the world with strength until you are filled up with God's redeeming agape love for you. You will never show it to other people. And so let's pray this morning that God would help us do that. Just bow our heads. Father, we, we pray, God, that you would help us to know that we are the objects of your divine affection. Lord, you are a God who loves us endlessly. You are a God who poured yourself out on the cross so that we could live. God, you don't look for, for beauty in us, but you create it in us. You don't love the way we do. God, we pray that you would help us to learn how much you love us so that we may learn, learn to love the way you do. God, give us courage. God, I pray that we would pour ourselves out, that we would be a people that demonstrate agape because they will know that we are your disciples by the way we love one another. 
Lord, help us to love our families this way. Help us to love our friends this way. Help us to love our enemies this way. God, make us full. God, so that we could pour this agape onto those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.